Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for they, Thy will they are and were created. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. That last line reminded me of a Facebook post I saw this week. A fellow was writing about an encounter between a pastor and someone who was disgruntled with the church's worship. And uh, the fellow said, Pastor, I'm going to have to tell you that I'm leaving the church because the worship here doesn't do much for me. And the pastor said, Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but I didn't know that the worship was for you. (laughs) It's for him, isn't it? It's for him. Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians, the fifth chapter this morning. Galatians chapter 5. We're in the third study of our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're going to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. From Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Paul said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. One of the big news items these days concerns Chaz Bono, the offspring of Cher and Sonny Bono, Formerly Chastity Bono, Chaz Bono is going to appear on TV's Dancing with the Stars. She, he, had a gender change operation, is now living as a man, and is going to dance with the stars as a man. Now here's the sad thing about this. In a culture that denies God as creator, people are increasingly confused about who they are, because they don't know where they came from. Am I evolved or am I created? Am I a woman trapped in a man's body? Am I a man trapped in a woman's body? Am I from a planet of apes? Am I good? Am I bad? Am I deserving? Am I undeserving? How do we know the answers to any of these questions without first settling the matter, who made us, where did we come from? And this is the confusion. What kind of world are we living in anyway? Now, I'll give it a real simple answer, something that isn't often said. The kind of world we're living in is an evil world. We live in an evil world. And we live in an evil world because of sin. And let me remind you the very important statement that we make about sin. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. This horrible thing has entered into the human race and into the world and is destroying everything. And the consequences of denying God are real, and they're very many. We're all suffering from it. STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, divorce, prevalent on the rampage, broken families, drug addictions, sexual addictions, alcohol addictions, a faltering economy, joblessness, violent crime, theft, suicide. All of these things are on the rise They're not going in the other direction, they're on the rise. And why is that? Because we live in a culture that has denied God, and because of its denial of God, evil and sin are continuing to have their way. 
Now we come to the book of Galatians, and what we find in the book of Galatians is that Paul the Apostle is contrasting the true gospel with this thing that is called legalism. Gospel is good news. Legalism is not good news. Excuse me. Gospel is good news. Legalism is not good news. Gospel is God's free gift of salvation and free gift of help to everyone regardless of their state, all of us undeserving. Legalism says you've got to do something to deserve something. You've got to do something to prompt something. You've got to keep the rules in order to be a good boy or a good girl and deserve God's favor. That's legalism. The real gospel states that it's Jesus Christ plus nothing that saves and sanctifies. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing that saves and sanctifies. Legalism says it's Jesus Christ plus something that saves or sanctifies. Now legalism had crept into these Galatian churches. They'd begun to add to the gospel message, saying that certain aspects of the law had to be kept in addition to faith in Christ in order for one to be saved or set apart to God. And that legalism was causing problems within the church, severe problems. Why were they uh, experiencing problems as a result of legalism? It's because the law can't produce life. It just can't. It doesn't produce righteous behavior. And in many cases, a dependence upon the law makes things worse. And as a result, these Christians in Galatia were beginning to bite each other and chew each other up. And eventually they were going to spit each other out. Of course, we look at it from this perspective. If legalism isn't the option, and if free grace is the option... And if we get rid of the rules and regulations as that which we depend upon to keep us on the straight and narrow, then what is there to restrain or improve our behavior? How can we have our behavior that we don't want to practice restrained, and how can we have the behaviors that we do want to practice become prevalent? Maybe a better question is, who is there to restrain or improve our behavior? And Paul's answer, and the answer of Scripture is in our text, the answer is the Holy Spirit is in our lives in order to restrain the behavior that we do not want to do and to promote and enhance the behavior that we do want to do. It's about a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. It's not about the rules and the regs. So we look at how the book of Galatians as a whole is laid out, and it kind of helps us in this whole discussion. The doctrinal section of the book of Galatians is chapters 1 through 4. The practical section of Galatians is chapters 5 and 6. And the book is neatly outlined in a single verse in the book. Galatians 1, verse 4, tells us that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age. There's the outline of the book, right there in Galatians 1.4. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That's the doctrinal section of the book, chapters 1 through 4. That he might deliver us from this present evil age, that's the practical section of the book, chapters 5 and 6. And that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came in order to give himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, an evil world in which we live. We need salvation. We need pardon for our many sins. That's chapters 1 through 4. We also need deliverance from a very, very evil world. And that's chapters 5 and 6. I want you to notice... In verses 19 through 21, the evil of the flesh life and how the works of the, of the flesh are described. The works of the flesh include adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and this list is a horrible list. It also, it, it's almost too horrible to read in church, except for that it comes from the Word of God. We need to be careful about what we allow into our lives. I listened to a little YouTube clip this week from Mark Driscoll from Mars Church up in Seattle. 
in a message entitled, How You May Be Opening Doors to Demons. And he was speaking mostly to Christians. How Christians may be inadvertently and unwillingly opening the doors of their hearts and of their lives to demonic bondage and destruction in their lives without even knowing it. And we're not suggesting at all that Christians are opening the doors to demon possession. I'm not suggesting that. A demon can't possess a Christian, not a true believer. It's not possible. It's not possible just physically. It's not possible. Because there's no demon in all of creation that could handle living in the same temple as the Holy Spirit of God. He wouldn't survive the experience. Do you understand that? So we're not talking about demon possession, but we are talking about damage and destruction that demons do and can do. And if we open the doors to these things, they will do destruction. And as Driscoll puts it in his little message, these are just ways to open the doors, to open the windows. Come on in! Ruin my life! That was his statement. It's a great statement. So look at the screen here, and we'll see a a slide just from that message. There we go. There's the slide. Sexual sin, that'll open the door to demonic oppression and destruction in your life. Don't deprive one another, uh, Paul said, sexually within marriage. Lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The devil's looking for an open door there. Marriage between Christians and non-Christians will open the door for certain oppression and destruction in someone's life. Be careful about that if you're unmarried and looking for a spouse. Limit your selection to only those that are committed believers in Jesus Christ. False religion will do it. False teaching will do it. These things will destroy lives. When people open themselves up to false teaching and to false religion and to false Jesuses, because there are other Jesuses that are masquerading uh, as Jesus, false spirits that are masquerading as Jesus, and when people open their hearts to these entities, they're opening their hearts to destruction. Bitterness will do it according to Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, Paul specifically says in that passage, do not give place to the devil. Foolishness and drunkenness will do it. Just living a foolish, moronic kind of a life, carelessly, and drunkenness, giving ourselves over to spirits that open ourselves up to the oppression of spirits. Idle gossip and busybodying, false spirits and spirituality. There's a lot of that around here. People are spiritual everywhere around us. But... God isn't interested in people being spiritual. He doesn't care one whit about spirituality. What God is interested in is people that are committed and believe in and love his son Jesus. That's the key. That's what God wants. That's what any pastor wants is for people to love Jesus. We don't care about how spiritual you are. What the important thing is is how Jesus-focused you are and how Jesus-focused we are as pastors. That's the important thing. Open yourself up to these things, and destruction will follow. Opening yourself up to lies. Satan is the father of lies, or to idolatry, 1 John 5, 18 through 21. And in this particular list, it's sort of a continuation of what Driscoll was talking about in his message. Look at adultery there. We know what that is. It's sexual relations with someone who is married that is not your spouse, or a married person having sexual relations with someone else who is not his or her spouse. Then we have fornication. The word is porneia. We get the word pornography from it. It's any illicit uh, sexual activity outside the bounds of monogamous heterosexual marriage. That's a mouthful. You've got to say it all these days. It's any sexual activity outside of the boundaries of monogamous heterosexual marriage, that is between a biological man and a biological woman, or a genetic man and a genetic woman. That's probably a better way to put it. There you go. Anything other than that is fornication. Uncleanness is simply impurity, just having a dirty mind and a dirty heart. Lewdness is no moral discipline or restraint, especially in sexual conduct. Anything goes these days. Idolatry 
is essentially worshiping anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ supremely. But my wife and I were listening to a message just the other day where the pastor was talking about forms of idolatry. And he mentioned the Roman god Bacchus, who was the god of wine and intoxication. Many worship that god today. Worship the god of wine and intoxication. In fact, when we were living up in the Napa area, there were people who couldn't go to bed at night without having drunk a whole bottle of $200 a bottle of wine. That was their god. And it's becoming increasingly prevalent within the church. And then there's the god, goddess Venus, the Roman god of, of sexuality and fertility. That's all over the place in our culture. Worshipping sex, worshipping sexuality. And then, of course, there's the god Mammon that Jesus spoke about as well. The god of money, the god of possessions, and the god of wealth. These three gods that were prevalent in the first century are prevalent today. What goes around comes around. History does tend to repeat itself. We also worship Bacchus and Venus and Mammon. And if these things are first in my life, I'm opening myself up to a horrible, horrible experience and disappointment. You can tell with the downturn in the economy, the foundation that people's lives have been built on. And it's tragic. You know, the people that have lost their homes, they had bad mortgages perhaps, or perhaps they lost their job and through no fault of their own, are now in real trouble financially. And our heart breaks and aches for such people, for sure. And we pray and hopefully help as many as we possibly can. But the bottom line is, is that the response indicates the foundation that someone who's experiencing these things has based their life upon. So you hear about some people whose lives are completely falling apart as a result of financial disaster. Uh, families dis disunited, divorces taking place, enmity and horrible, horrible things going on. But then you read about others or learn about others or in relationship with others who are just saying, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It's unfortunate that it happened, but God is in control and he's going to take care of us and he's got a future and a plan for us and we're going to move ahead. Maybe downsizing is a good thing for us. Maybe this is going to be something that God uses in our lives to just produce a greater sense of godliness. And so it will be worth it from an eternal perspective. So whatever person's confidence was in, whatever God they were serving will greatly outcome or influence the reaction to such tragedies. We're living in this culture where Mammon is a god, or where Venus is a god, or Bacchus is a god. And then he goes on in the list and he talks about sorcery. The Greek word is pharmakeia. We get pharmaceuticals from that. So it does have to do with the use of pharmaceutical drugs as well as magic or magic arts. Sorcery, the work of the flesh. And boy, we have a problem with that in our culture. Methamphetamines and all of the other forms of pharmaceutical or hallucinogenic drugs that are destroying our culture. Hatred is mentioned in this list, which is hostility towards others, probably inward and then outward. Contentions are mentioned, quarrels. That's what contentions are. It's the person that just has this great need to be right. I've got to be right, and I've got to let you know I'm right. And so an argument, I never met one I didn't like. And so I go after it, and I'm in arguments constantly. That's contentions. Jealousies are mentioned. Outbursts of wrath are mentioned, as in rage, as in road rage, or other forms of rage. Selfish ambitions, the me generation, that's the generation we live in. It's all about me. I didn't get much out of the worship. I don't really, you know, the worship doesn't do much for me. Well, the pastor says, I didn't know the worship was for you. <laughs> That's a good response to selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Just splitting off from people. Heresies, the same thing. Envy, ill will toward others because of what they have. Murders within the heart and in actuality. Drunkenness, which is the Greek word methai, and uh, has to do with intoxication 
of any type, by the way. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about marijuana use. And it is, after all, an herb of the ground that God has given to us, so we can enjoy this herb of the ground. Well, it is a hallucinogenic, and it is something that leads to intoxication, and therefore it is sin, and it falls under this category of drunkenness, the work of the flesh. Then you have revelries, which is carousing. And then he mentions, if you note there, in the text, in verse 21, and the like. Meaning that there are more that could belong to this list, which he hasn't taken the time to list. And then he says, in closing that section about the works of the flesh, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice such things. That is, those whose lifestyles are characterized by his, these behaviors. Those who habitually practice these sins. And they exhibit a lifestyle that shows that they are living in an unsaved state. Now, if somebody is practicing these things, and this is the lifestyle in which they are living, any one of these works of the flesh, and it's dominating them, they may claim to be a true believer. They may claim to be a believer, and in reality they may be. Just someone who's dominated by the flesh. But there's no way in the world that I, observing someone living a life like that, can tell whether or not they're a believer. They're living like an unbeliever. They're living according to the works of the flesh. Therefore, what evidence is there coming from their life that would indicate that their life has changed, that their life agrees with 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things have come, become new. Old things have passed away. How do I know that that's happened if it doesn't show up in the way somebody lives? So those who practice such things habitually, Paul says will not inherit the kingdom of God. And somebody who is practicing these things habitually better worry about their standing and better take it seriously and do what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Prove yourself. Because these are serious, serious things. A very dangerous, a very destructive a very evil list of behaviors and reactions that all flow from the flesh life. So that leads us to a definition of what the flesh is. Some would say the flesh is human nature acting independently from God. I think that's a good definition. Another definition would be that the flesh is sin having its way in the body and in the experience and expression of human beings. I think that's a good definition as well. The bottom line is that every true believer still has the flesh to contend with. And for some reason, God has allowed the flesh to remain. He didn't completely eradicate it. He changed us. He made us new creations in Christ. He caused us to be born again. We do have a new nature, but that we still have this body. The only part of us that hasn't been redeemed. And in this body, there is sin. And the sin that is within our body is waiting for opportunity and is contending against the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is contending against the sin within the body. And there's this struggle that's going on, and it's daily, isn't it? Is it daily for you? I hope so. It's an indication that you're truly a believer. If there's no struggle at all, and your default mode is the flesh, then that would be perhaps an indication that you're not a true believer. And you should examine yourself, 2 Corinthians 13.5. But there is this struggle. The flesh, human nature acting independently from God. The flesh, sin, working and acting within the body and within the life of the person. And the flesh is ugly. And it's a horrible, horrible way to live. What this does, as we've looked at this list of the work of the flesh first, what this does is it brings us to our understanding of our absolute need for the Holy Spirit of God. 
I mean, if I were honest with you, which I suppose I will be, many of these that are part of the works of the flesh are areas that I can still experience temptation and struggle in. I don't like it. I don't like jealousy. I don't like envy. Hatred is horrible. Contentions are horrible. All of these sorts of things. But they're within the flesh. I, like Paul, say that in me nothing good dwells. That is in my flesh. To will is present with me. But how to perform that which I would, I don't find. I don't know. And that's you, that's me. All of us are the same there. We need the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why we go back to verse 16. Where Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, doesn't that sound good right about now in our study? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, I'm so glad. I hate that list that we just talked about. I hate the things that Mark Driscoll talked about in his message. And all those opportunities to have my life destroyed. Go ahead, ruin my life. We're practically saying to the demonic world if we give in to the flesh. But I hate that list and so do you. This is a breath of fresh air. This is truth that needs to sink down into the soul. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Say praise the Lord. It's good news. And then he explains the conflict in verse 17. The flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In opposition to one another. Causing us to not do what we want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And last week we gave the illustration of a jar. And the question is asked, how can I get the air out of this jar? Well, I could put a seal on the jar and attach a vacuum to it and attempt to suck the air out of the jar. But what that would do, of course, is create a vacuum and eventually the jar would break. So it wouldn't be effective. But as Dale Moody used to say in, uh, when dealing with the subject and using that illustration, he just held up a, a, the jar and then he held up a pitcher of water. And he poured the water into the jar and what happened is the water as it raised itself in the in the jar displaced the air and eventually that jar was full of water there was no room for the air to be in it at all and let's just say that the water the living water the water of life is representative of the holy spirit and let's just say that the jar with its air in it is representative of my life apart from Christ, the flesh life. And the Spirit of God displaces the things that are active in relationship to the flesh. As I pour that water in, the flesh is dealt with. That's what Paul's saying here. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Those who are led by the Spirit are not under the law. And it's not so much a question of going after the different aspects of the Spirit directly. Going after hatred, going after jealousies, going after envy, and going after them directly as if I could conquer each one of these independently and eventually find victory over all of them. It's not that kind of a scenario. It's rather the scenario of submitting to the person of the Spirit of God Himself. And cultivating a close, intimate relationship with the Spirit of God Himself. And I find that as I'm walking in the Spirit, connecting with the Spirit, in league with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, captained by the Spirit, these things just aren't part of my reality. They're just not happening at the same time I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so my struggle ends in the sense that the Spirit of God has taken up the struggle himself and he is being victorious in me. It's all conditional though on that last phrase and that last statement in verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If he is in charge, if he is in control of my life and my decisions, 
if he has given the reins of my heart, if he's in the driver's seat, if he's the one that's calling the shots, if he's in command, if he is sovereign in my life, then I'm not under the law and then I'm finding victory because he is taking up the battle himself. This is good news. And this goes back to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, the spirit of truth. You know who he is. He dwells with you and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. We need the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. He's the one that's called alongside of us to help us. He's the one that lives inside of us to be victorious over the works of the flesh. This is the good news. And so that leads us to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A beautiful list. This is uh, intentional here. We read the ugliness of the works of the flesh and we feel like we need a spiritual bath after reading the list because it's such a horrible list. But now we come to the list that does bathe us, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the Christian. These things don't come from me, they come from the Spirit of God. Very important to know that and to remember that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Notice also that it's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that grows as a result of a growth process. Fruit on a tree grows because the tree is being watered, it's in good soil, and the tree itself is healthy. The Christian grows when it's in good soil, the soil of God's word. The Christian grows when the Christian is being watered and and is being washed through the water of the word of God and is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Christian grows when the Christian is out in the light and into good sunlight, in the light of fellowship, in the light of communion with others, in the light of consistent involvement with others' lives. These are the environments in which the Christian grows. And what happens is that fruit is produced, the fruit of the Spirit. The Christian can't try to produce fruit any more than an apple tree can try to produce an apple. Or a grapevine can try to produce a grape. The grape is the natural result of an abiding process of the branch and the vine. The apple is the natural result of being on a branch connected to the trunk that is firmly established in the ground and is getting proper nutrition. And so also the fruit of the Spirit is the natural result of the abiding believer who is trusting in the Holy Spirit. And it's what is produced. Now I also want you to notice that the fruit of the Spirit is, the verb is singular, and then a list of nine characteristics is given. So what that tells us is that the fruit of the Spirit is, and here is the cumulative look at what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is all of these things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. All at the same time. These are the things that are produced through the life of the one who is walking in the Spirit. A beautiful list. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's God's love. The highest single trait that we can have in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is an inner reality. It's not dependent upon our circumstances at all. Someone can have horrible circumstances yet have deep joy. Paul the Apostle mentioned the constant ongoing struggle he had for the Jewish people who weren't yet believing that Jesus was Messiah. And he grieved over them. In fact, he wished that he himself could be cursed from Christ for his brethren according to the flesh that they might be saved. So there was deep angst within his heart, yet he was probably the most joyous person you'd ever meet. You can have joy and grief at the same time. You can have horrible circumstances and joy at the same time because this joy of the Lord which is our strength is not dependent upon our circumstances peace is also not dependent upon our circumstances this is the inner calm that we experience 
even when it doesn't make sense to be calm on the inside. Long-suffering is patience with others, the ability to put up with other people. Anybody say, I need to be able to put up with other people. Anybody believe that? Anybody have that struggle? Kindness is the gracious treatment of others. Just being kind. Can't wait to see Jesus. I know that you can't wait to see him either. But that's one of the characteristics that I think is going to just stand out to all of us is just how kind he is. And just the gracious way in which he treats everyone. Goodness is an inner quality of of inner virtue and, and good. When you say that somebody is a good person, what are you saying? That's a fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness. The ability to just be consistent. Trusting God in faith and being consistent because of that faith. Gentleness is meekness also. It's the ability to control the strength we have in order to be humble toward others. Self-control is the ability to put a governor on ourselves. Now, he that rules his own spirit is stronger than the one who's, who takes a city, it says in Proverbs. You know, C.S. Lewis said, there are many people in the world, but there's only one that I can do anything about. The control of self, it's a constant battle. And against these traits, Paul says, there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit is, the Spirit of God produces these characteristics out of our lives. We have to be careful because we have a very strong tendency to try to falsely imitate these traits. In Ray Stedman's great book, Authentic Christianity, the chapter called The Great Imitation, he talks about that tendency of even believers faking it and living sort of a false pseudo kind of Christianity. He says, quote, the peace he claims to have is present only while his circumstances are untroubled. When his circumstances turn dark and troubling, his peace evaporates in an instant. The joy he sings about seldom shows on his face, and the Christian love he talks about is reserved only for those who please him and get along with him. It's all a giant, though largely unconscious, sham. He may be a true Christian in whose heart Christ dwells, but he does not live the Christian life on a consistent basis. He may be a highly moral, highly religious, even a highly generous person, but the reality is that he is living pretty much as he did before his conversion. Only now, his speech and behavior are covered with a thin glaze of Christianity. That glaze is the first thing to crack and crumble when life becomes irritating, difficult, or threatening. This is why we need the Holy Spirit, because only He can lead us into an authentic experience of Jesus, where it's the real thing. Even though the outward man is perishing, I've quoted this verse twice already to people that have been gathered here, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's the real thing. Even though death may be working in us, life is being produced toward others. That's the real thing. Even though there were hard-pressed on every side and perhaps struck down or perhaps perplexed or perhaps persecuted, yet there's someone else inside of us that is pushing against being struck down, pushing against being hard-pressed, pushing against being persecuted, pushing against being perplexed. And he's winning. And so we're able to have joy, even though we're not in control, he is the Spirit of God. That's the real Christian life. It's the kind of Christian life that has teeth in it. It's the kind of Christian life that has hair on its chest. It's the kind of Christian life that's real, it's strong, it's powerful. It's not wimpy, it's not fake, it's not for sissies. Like my dad used to say, this growing old thing isn't for sissies. Well, neither is the Christian life. It's not for sissies. It's the real thing produced by the Spirit of God in the lives of those that are willing to radically trust Him. Amen? Amen. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do. 
Now here's the key as we close with this final thought. Let's take a different look at this flesh and spirit conflict from a little bit different vantage point. And let's look at the works of the flesh that are listed here. Ugly list. And then look again at the fruit of the spirit. Beautiful list. And now let's begin to see them as symptoms. They're symptoms. If you go into a doctor's office and there's something wrong, what does he do? He first checks the symptoms, doesn't he? And then with all of his medical training and all of his experience as a, as a doctor... He or her, the doctor, will make decisions what he or she thinks is wrong. The symptoms indicate what might be the root cause. Look at the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit as being symptoms. What they do is they show the cause. So what do we mean? What we mean is that if at any given moment I'm finding anger rising up within me and I want to you know, be guilty of road rage, and I want to, you know, do something stupid on the road because of somebody that just cut me off. Well, what is that, what is that showing me? That's a symptom. Anger is a symptom. What's this a symptom of? It's a symptom that at that moment and at that time, I'm relying upon the flesh and not the spirit. But if, on the other hand, the guy cuts me off and I can say, well, you know, there are stupid drivers in the world. Lord, keep that guy safe so he doesn't kill somebody. God bless him. And I drive on happily, un unperturbed by the insanity that is out there on the road. What is that? That's, that's a symptom also. That would be long-suffering. That would be gentleness. That's a symptom that at that time and at that moment, I'm relying upon the Spirit of God. You see how it works? That's one of the reasons why I think this list, these lists are given to us. So that we can do some self-diagnosis. Something's wrong here. Envy. Danger, Will Robinson. Envy, envy, envy. Problem here. Where did it come from? Well, I must be relying upon the flesh. I need to get back into a conscious dependence upon the Spirit of God right now. And it's got to happen right now. So I practice spiritual breathing. I exhale the dirt and the sin through confession. I inhale the Spirit of God and what He wants to do in me. And this is the way it works. Now the thing about the Christian life that is so amazing is that before we were Christians, before we were born again, we had no choice. We had to operate in the realm of the flesh. That was the only option that we had. Does that make sense? This is the only option we had. But after we became regenerate and born again, now we've got another option. We can operate in the Spirit. But here's the catch. The Christian can operate either in the flesh or in the Spirit at any given time. But never both at the same time. It's either one or the other. And the symptom indicates the realm in which I'm operating. It indicates the dependence that I have at that moment. This is so helpful for us to do some self-diagnosis. You get frustrated at somebody. You get angry at somebody. You feel like going and just, you know, getting crazy and doing some party deal, carousing. You feel like you want to create dissension. You feel like you want to listen to that juicy tidbit of backbiting or slander. You feel like you want to spread some backbiting or slander. There's something in you that wants to repeat that sin that somebody else has committed rather than covering it. Where's all that? What's that what does that mean? It means we're operating in the flesh. It's time to repent. If, however, we say, no, I don't want to listen to that, and I don't want to spread that. That person is God's son, God's daughter. I'm going to protect that person's integrity, protect that person's reputation. I'm not going to repeat a matter. The Bible says the discretion of a man is that he doesn't repeat a matter. So I'm not going to repeat a matter. What does that say that says that I'm operating at that time in the Spirit? And we need the Holy Spirit to live this Christian life. So look at your own life now. 
What do you see, honestly? Do you see worry? You see anger? You see fear? You see dissensions? Are these the things that are dominant or prevalent? Or do you see love, joy, peace, patience? So what's the big picture? But then what's the small picture? How did you do so far today? How have I done so far today? This is where it gets down to the bottom line. See, right now I need to walk in the Spirit. And so do you. How many have a need to once again be filled with the Holy Spirit? And how many have a need to recommit to living a life by the Spirit of God? Let's pray. Lord, teach us your wisdom. Give us hearts of wisdom, our Lord. As your word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, give us a fear of you, Lord, a proper and a healthy and a reverential respect for you, the living God. Give us the fear of the Lord that we might have this wisdom to understand the nature of our need, to understand the evil of our own flesh, to understand the power and the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit. Give us that wisdom, Lord, to pursue the things that are right, to pursue the things that only you can produce in us. We pray for anyone here with us this morning or listening on the internet or later listening on a CD or online who hasn't yet made the initial commitment to Jesus Christ and hasn't surrendered to him as Savior and as Lord. We pray for them. We pray that the good news of the gospel might shine in into their hearts right now that they might be saved. Open their eyes, Lord. Open their hearts. Open their spirits to see the great need that they have for a different kind of life. To be saved. To be forgiven. And just a quick word. If you're with us this morning and you've never made this commitment, here's some good news for you. God does love you. He really does. His love is so intense that he gave his son, he sent his son Jesus to die a horrible death, an unthinkable death. And in dying that death, he was actually paying for all of our sins. He was being judged for all of our sins so that we wouldn't have to be judged. He did that for you. And after he died, just like he promised, he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. And he's waiting to be invited into your life to be your Savior and to be your Lord. If you say yes to him, what you will be saying is, I believe you, Jesus, that you're the Savior. I believe you, Jesus, that you're the Lord. I believe that you did die for my sins. I believe that you did rise from the dead. That's what you're saying to him if you say yes to Jesus Christ. It will be the greatest day of your life. It will be the first day of a future and a hope that is glorious and very, very bright. If you say no, you will be headed towards certain destruction and you will die separated from God and you will live that way eternally. The good news is just that. God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. So is there anyone here this morning that wants to make that commitment for the first time? You've never asked Jesus to come into your life as your Savior and Lord, but you want to do that right now. Would you please raise your hand so I can see it? Raise it up high. And I want to have a word of prayer with you. Anyone here this morning? Anyone watching online, anyone listening to this CD later, you too can make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 
And after you pray the prayer, contact us, either by email or by phone call. Let us know the decision you've made as you invite Jesus into your life. Pray this prayer along with me. God, I admit that I am a sinful person, and I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he's alive today because he rose from the dead. I receive Jesus by faith into my life. I accept him as my savior. I accept him as your gift to me, as my savior and Lord. I ask you to come into my life and change me and forgive me and empower me to live a different kind of life. Give me your strength. Make me a new person in Jesus' name. And if you did pray that prayer for the first time, then make sure you get in touch with us. Let's stand together, shall we? May the Lord bless you and great, give you a great week of uh, just walking with the Lord abiding in him, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, it's very exciting to think about what would happen with this group if we walk in the Spirit, what kind of fruit the Lord would want to provide and produce in and through our lives this next week. Think of the lives that could be touched. Think of the communities that could be impacted. Think of the situations that could be changed. It's pretty overwhelming to think about what would happen if God's people were filled with the Holy Spirit. So may God fill you with the Holy Spirit this week and that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And Lord, we do one more time just pray that you'd bless our time of fellowship as we do dismiss. Cause our, con- our conversation to be mutually edifying and strengthening. Bless us, Lord, with new friendships and new relationships. Lord, enable us to be used by you to be of an encouragement to one another. Lord, let love reign in this place, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.